Chapter thirty five of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. The Villages of India Home Life. Today we shall see something of the East Indians outside the cities. Most of the people live in villages from which the farmers go out daily to their work in the fields. Each village has also its tradesmen and mechanics including a carpenter shoemaker barber and blacksmith it has its priest and school-teacher and is governed by a head man aided by a clerk and the village council the lands outside the village belong either to the people themselves or to landlords who may live in other parts of the country and to whom the farmers pay a money rent or a part of the crop but let us suppose ourselves travelling across the great plain of north india we are riding on the railroad through the valley of the ganges over some of the richest soil of the world the sun shines brightly the crops grow luxuriantly and birds by the thousands sing in the trees all nature is joyful and mother earth seems abounding in riches the only poor thing we can see is man there are few lands upon earth where the people struggle so hard and get so little as in india there are some parts of this valley which support two persons to the acre and where three hundred and twenty get their living out of one hundred and sixty acres which is the size of many an american farm in some places the population is so great that it averages more than twelve hundred to the square mile so great that the land does not produce enough for the people in many parts of hindustan the peasants eat only just about enough to keep them alive and millions support their families on less than a dollar a week we see women who are working in the fields for less than five cents a day in other regions the people are fewer some sections of the peninsula are less thickly settled than our eastern states and in some the land is a desert where there are no people at all or only nomadic tribes who drive their cattle and sheep from place to place to find pasture let us now take a look at the farmers as they work in the fields. We find them everywhere toiling. The men are plowing and digging, and the women and children are hoeing and weeding the crops. All wear scanty clothing, and their black skins shine like oiled ebony under this hot Indian sun. The men are clad in little more than a strip of white cotton, which they wrap around their bodies, pulling the end through their legs and fastening it at the waist. They have turbans of white on their heads. A few of the richer men may have a jacket of cotton, and perhaps an additional strip of cloth to wind about their shoulders. But as a rule, both men and women look as though they had dragged the sheets from their beds and wrapped them about their persons as clothing. Some of the women have on a sleeveless jacket, which ends under the armpits, and below this a skirt, which falls from the waist to the feet, exposing a wide belt of bare skin. Others do not wear the skirt, but use a full waistcloth instead. Almost all of the people are barefooted, and some are bare-legged as well, while very small children wear no clothing at all. Nevertheless, the mornings and evenings are cold, and they shiver as the winds blow through the valleys. Now look at that village of mud huts over there. The houses are not as good as the stables we use for our cattle. The average hut, which is about 15 feet square, is made of sun-dried brick with a roof of thin tiles or of thatch its floor is the ground plastered with cow dung and its windows are mere holes in the walls 
the fireplace is a few bricks laid one upon the other there is no chimney and the smoke finds its way out through the door or from under the eaves well-to-do farmers may have several such huts with a mud wall about them but what are those lumps of brown mud about the size and shape of a fat buckwheat cake which we see plastered on the walls of the houses they cover the outsides of the huts and piles of them have been stacked up for sale those mud cakes are the fuel of a great part of east india they are made of cow manure and earth mixed together and molded to shape by the hands of the women and girls wood is scarce in many parts of hindustan and the children walk along the roads or through the fields following the cattle and gathering up every bit to make into fuel the cooking is all done with such cakes but let us enter a hut how uncomfortable it is there is nothing homelike about it the hut has but one room and it is dark and smoky there are neither tables nor chairs there is no place to rest except on the earth floor and the family squat there at their meals we ask what they eat and find that the chief diet consists of beans millet and similar grains ground up and made into cakes or cooked as a mush they use peppers and other hot things with their food they seldom have meat and indeed many of them would as soon think of becoming cannibals as of eating a tenderloin steak they regard the cow as holy and they would be cast out by their families if they ate beef some of the classes or castes are meat eaters and all use a rancid melted butter called ghee the meals are usually served in large brass bowls with smaller ones for the curry and condiments the dishes are clean and they shine like well-polished gold there are no forks and all eat with their fingers the men are served first and the women take what is left in many places the food is cooked out of doors most people have only two meals a day and some only one outside the huts we see the women making the flour for the family they pour the wheat or millet through a hole in a round stone which rests on top of another and then turn the top stone around its weight grinding the flour the flour is then mixed with water and baked into cakes over the coals but where are the beds and sleeping places of the family there is nothing which looks like a couch inside the hut and no straw on the floor we can easily see by going to the door the beds stand outside the house during the daytime they are taken there at sunrise in order that the people may have more room the hindu bed is merely a netting of ropes stretched over a framework of wood with wooden legs at the corners it is not more than four feet in length so that the sleeper usually lies with his legs doubled up if he stretched them out they would hang over the foot of the bed sometimes a part of the family sleeps out of doors the poorer classes do not use nightgowns they wrap themselves up in the sheets they wear in the daytime and seem able to sleep anywhere even though it be on the bare ground or the stone floor of a railway station but what are those curtains hung over the doors of many of the huts they are put there to keep the men who pass by from seeing the women within the women of the upper classes live in the back rooms of the houses for women are usually secluded in india and are never seen by any other men than those of their own families during our stay in the village we see a wedding procession the groom is a hindu boy of fifteen and the bride a little hindu girl only eight years of age the groom has a red cloth cap on his head 
and is dressed in tawdry red clothing. He is riding a white pony, and with him is a crowd of bare-legged men and boys, his relatives and friends, who are trotting along on foot as an escort. The little bride follows behind, but we cannot see her, for she is shut up in that large box covered with red cloth. The box is hung to a pole and is carried on the shoulders of men. Behind come some women who are bringing the housekeeping furniture supplied by the bride. One group carries her bed, and another holds up a tray upon which are her cooking utensils, consisting of three or four iron pots and a rice jar. The whole outfit would not be worth more than a dollar fifty of our money. We are surprised at this marriage of children, and learn that the bride and groom will not live together until the girl is about twelve years of age. Then she will come from her parents' home to that of her husband and be married for good. Every year thousands of Indian girls are engaged to be married while they are still babies. They are then looked upon as wives, although they do not live with their husbands until they have reached the age of ten or twelve years. If, in the meantime, the husband should die, they become widows, and as such their fate is a sad one. Hindu widows cannot marry again, and they are despised by their families and everyone else. A widow usually lives in the house of her mother-in-law, who does all that she can to make her life miserable, for it is supposed that the husband is happy in heaven, just in proportion as his widow is unhappy on earth. She cannot go to parties, she must eat by herself, and must cook her own food apart from the family. The women of India are in many respects the slaves of their husbands. They receive but little education, although of recent years the British have established girls' schools, and more liberty is being granted to women as time goes on. The poorer women do the hardest of work. We see them digging in the fields, breaking stone on the roads, and carrying burdens upon their heads. There are some people of India, however, who treat their women much better. The Jains are now educating their daughters, and the Parsees, of whom we have already learned something, have good schools for girls. The Parsee women go about as they please. They are beautiful and are quite as intelligent as the sisters of Europe or the United States. End of chapter 35